Hey ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Explode Your Expert Business Show brought to you by gtex.org.uk. My name is Simone Vincenzi and I'm your host and this is the podcast for experts who want to become the ultimate authority in their niche while making an impact in the world. And today I have a pleasure to interview my good friend Winston Clement on Black Lives Matter and diversity. It's an incredible, incredible conversation and you will hear why in a moment. Um, if you don't know Winston, uh, he is um, uh, is an award-winning international speaker on a mission to inspire one billion people to unleash their God-given potential. And just imagine for a moment breaking a leg. It's not pleasant, uh, and uh, breaking any bone is extremely painful experience. Now imagine breaking a leg every single month for 12 years. Now, uh, he was uh, um, diagnosed and predicted a life of isolation. He was diagnosed uh, a bone, a rare bone disorder called osteogenesis imperfecta. And uh, many people make it past like the 6 or 12 years old mark uh, that have this, uh, this condition. So if you can imagine how his childhood would have been um, just having that... Um, uh, just having that condition and so that's why growing up uh, and uh, he managed to defy all the odds and um, uh, graduated from university with a degree in computer science and spent over 10 years then working as a consultant for global corporation in the technology industry and what he does uh, he goes into organization and uh, help their staff and help them their management team to really see how can they create a more diverse and inclusive um, and inclusive word and inclusive company uh, is an incredible person and you will find very few people that have the joy <laughs> it's just a joy every time you meet you meet Winston um, you will hear you will hear his voice and uh, understand what I mean on this and in this episode we talk about the importance of diversity and cultural training in our society uh, we talk about Black Lives Matter and what it really means and what companies uh, can do to have a more diverse, uh, open and aware culture. You can find all the transcript and bonus resources at gtex.org.uk forward slash 295. So gtex.org.uk forward slash 295. And you can connect with Winston uh, if, you just scroll in the, um, if you just scroll below. You will find the show notes. You can find all the links and all social media to connect with Winston. I highly, highly recommend to connect with him. Now, before we get started, I wanted to know that if you if you want to get known in your field, you know, the faster you're known, the faster you will grow your business. But it's difficult to find the publication. It's difficult to find the podcast. It's difficult to know how to apply. How do you approach different hosts? And this is why my team and I have spent an entire month and more than £2,000 consolidating four years of data on global publications that are looking for contributors. We have created the Ultimate Publicity Bundle, where you will get access to a curated database of more than 500 publications in, 12, in 20 different niches, more than 200 podcasts that are looking for guests, 
my templates on how to connect with journalists, uh, my follow-up frameworks to maximize every single opportunity, uh, a Trello board to track and measure the success that you're having, and all and a bonus training on how to reach out to journalists and how to use those resources in the most effective way. And all that for $29.99. But that's just for a limited period of time. So make sure you get it right now. <laughs> okay. So go to gtex.events forward slash publicity iPhone bundle. So gtex.events forward slash publicity iPhone bundle. So gtex.events forward slash publicity iPhone bundle. And uh, or you can go the quicker route and scroll down and you will find <laughs> the link and get it right now before uh, we increase the price. That's all for me. Enjoy the episode. If you like it, make sure you subscribe and leave us a, a good review. We like good reviews. It helps the show. And uh, until next time, have a fantastic day and enjoy interview, which is episode 295, Black Lives Matter and Diversity with Winston Clement. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Explode Your Expert Business Show. And today I'm here with the one and only Winston Clement. How are you doing, Winston? Good, Simone. How are you doing today? I am incredibly well. Thank you very much. Uh, it is a, a pleasure to have you here on our show. We are going to talk about uh, Black Lives Matter. We are going to talk about uh, uh, diversity, inclusion. We are going to talk about practical things that we can do as a society mm -hmm. to move forward. And so I would love to hear from you first, uh, if you can give us a bit more of a background uh, about yeah. uh, yourself, uh, uh, that will be a great start of the conversation. Yeah, shall I do the uh, 30 second background or the one and a half hour keynote? Um, let's, uh, let, let's <laughs> do, do you have something in between, like uh, three minutes? <laughs> I, I think 30 seconds is not going to give you justice and one and a half hour, um, I don't think we have enough time. So <laughs> That's a good point. That's a valid point. So, <laughs> okay, I think the, yeah, so let me start here. Maybe the thing that makes me a little bit unique, I don't know if guys can see me that well, but I'm actually a wheelchair user. And that's because I was born with a condition called osteogenesis imperfecta. So there's going to be a quiz at the end. Make sure you remember that name. And what that condition is, is basically brittle bones disorder. So growing up, I, well, it's just what it says on the tins. Um, my bones would break quite easily. I think we worked out that by the age of 12, I'd broken 150 bones, which is wow. a lot. And I'm sure you'll appreciate that, Simone, because you play sports, so you've probably had a few injuries. I, I broke three. Okay, and yes. It, it was <laughs> painful, and it was painful. I yeah, can't even imagine, oh my God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm in the hundreds now. I think <clears throat> by now I'm probably over 200 in total. And, and so that was a big part of my, my story, especially when I was younger. <clears throat> and, you know, it was happening quite frequently. And then yeah. kind of fast forwarding a bit and we can jump into specifics. I, you know, I still went to school, still went to, actually my parents decided to send me to a mainstream school, which is just a regular school um, here in the UK. And so a lot of my friends, all my friends were able-bodied. I didn't really know 
anyone else in a wheelchair until I was much older. And and also because I grew up in West London, I it was predominantly Asian school. So yeah. I tended to be the only black kid in the classroom, or maybe sometimes there were one or two others, but 80, 85% of my school was, was Asian. So even today, a lot of my friends, people that I call childhood friends are Asian. And then went to uni, did computer science. We were talking about technology earlier, so I could have probably helped you when yeah. you were having issues, but I chose not to, chose to watch you struggle. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> did that, and then I went into a corporate career, which lasted about maybe eight to 10 years, where I was mostly doing programming and working for various big companies in financial services and what else did I do? And consulting, management consulting. And then and then came the big change when I decided that I didn't want to be an IT geek anymore. I wanted to become a motivational speaker. And again, there's a story there which we can come back to. We'll come back and to so, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so nowadays what I do is I work with companies predominantly teaching on diversity and inclusion, teaching on how they can attract people from diverse backgrounds, you know, like myself, black and disabled, those mm -hmm. intersections are also important. And, and, and yeah, so creating training, creating keynotes, I did, like I was saying to you before the recording, I was speaking at a big conference yesterday for CIPD, which is a massive HR conference. Yeah. On, on this particular topic. So it's what I love to do and and it's my new passion even more than being an IT geek. So that was <laughs> the three, four minute version. But yeah, we can dive into uh, stuff. We can definitely dive into stuff in particular around the, the, the intersection, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Because, um, mm -hmm. you know, as a society, kind of we need labels to make sense of the word. So even if I've um, never liked to say, oh, like, oh, label someone, oh, disabled, black, white is not, is something that, as I am, I have to mm -hmm. consciously do. Because I just believe that uh, at the end of the day, we are whole human beings. Yeah. But at the same time, we were, I was having a lot of conversations in particular in this time around the Black Lives Matter movement and what happens. And uh, one of the things I realized is that not actually giving a label can... Uh, have the opposite effect because uh, it becomes uh, a way of like you're not acknowledging my difference you're not acknowledging me as who i am and i have a lot of black friends who are talking to my wife as well which is caribbean mm. and they said the moment you don't acknowledge my blackness is the moment you don't acknowledge me and you know mm. as, a, as a white man that's why i'm having a lot of conversation right now I, i'm labeled and enable white men. I mean, there are a lot of things that I'm, I will never have to experience in life just because of who I am. So uh, it's great what I'm trying to do right now is to understand more and more different backgrounds, different uh, uh, things that other people actually had to go through. So we'd love mm -hmm. to know from you, from your perspective, how was it uh, for you growing up? Mm -hmm. um, uh, if we are focusing as well even on your condition and on the fact mm -hmm. that uh, that you're black. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because I actually wasn't born in the UK. 
So I was born in Kenya, mm-hmm. East Africa. So, you know, my, the first 10 years of my life, that's where, that's where I lived and that's where I grew up. So right. I sometimes feel like I've lived two different lives because mm-hmm. there was the first 10 years and then the other 20 years, like part two. Mm-hmm. And when I moved to the UK, that is. And so... You know, when I moved to the UK, I think that's when I started to become aware of my, well, just my blackness. There's no other way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, back home in Kenya, everyone was black. Being black wasn't a topic. It was just like, <laughs> <laughs> like being a human being is not a topic because we're just all the same, right? Yeah. So it's only yeah. like, oh, and I remember saying to my mom that, oh my God, my school is um probably one of very few black people in that school black kids mm. and so and so it was an interesting experience and then i think when it comes to racism as well like and and maybe or maybe not even racism might be strong but just in terms of being attacked for my skin color yeah. i first of all I, I can't say that you know i've ever had anybody come up to me and say you're this you're that you know calling me all these names I've not had those overt expressions mm-hmm. of racism, but you know there have been experiences which, when I look back now, I didn't really understand at the time. But when I look back now, it's what and and this is again another label which helped me understand what was happening. Hmm. There were microaggressions, right? right? And you know, a microaggression, for example, you know, in the school and. Like I said, my friends mostly Asian, and again, this is there's an education piece here as well. I don't feel like any of the people that I grew up with were innately racist, but yeah. because I spent time with them, and obviously at times they'll be speaking in their language, and I would hear how they'd refer to me, how they'd refer to other black people, mm-hmm. and you know it could be just a simple term as uh, I think in in Punjabi. To refer to a black person, they say color. So like I'd show up to like hang out with my friends at dinner and they'll be like, Oh yeah, color say, hey, come join us. Come join us. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> and that would it translated in English, that would literally be saying, Black is here. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, you know, I don't know how comfortable we would be expressing that way in English, right? Yeah. And so and then so that was sort of in like the high school growing up context and then at work an example of a microaggression would be because i like my african food simone Mm -hmm. and so what's your favorite one ah so many where do i start so there's yeah this particular dish that i was taking to work that day is called ugali Mm -hmm. which i recommend you look up and it's basically how do you describe so if you if you know maize so you take maize Mm -hmm. And you grind it up into almost like a powder. Right. What you do with that powder, it becomes like flour. And then that flour, you put it in water. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then it it gets shaped into almost like a cake. And you have it like quite warm. Mm -hmm. And and normally you have it with your vegetables and your curries and stuff like that. It's really cool. I think West Africa have a version of it called fufu, perhaps is more familiar. Right, yeah, but, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah I got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, 
so yeah, so I took this Ugali thing to work and I was excited similarly. I was like, lunchtime, going down, you know, can't wait. And I remember I was sitting, this is a, a big company, you know, we're all sitting down, everyone's having their sandwiches, their sausage rolls, mm. you know, whatever they have, you know, their, their crisps, whatever. And I'm like pulling out my Ugali and, you know, I think I had some veggies with it as well. Right. And and I think initially it was curiosity. It was like, hey, Winston, just like if I pulled it out in front of you, you'd be like, hey, what's that? What's that? I've, I've not seen that before. And then, but I think there's a point where curiosity can also become a microaggression. So mm. what happened was maybe two weeks after that first time, I brought the same dish into work again. Right. right. And then the same person who asked me, what was that thing? that you, you're having last week. He asked me the same question again. But this time, he said he said it in, in a way that it just didn't feel comfortable. He was like, oh, Winston brought that African dish. Winston, what, what's it called again? And, you know, at the time, I didn't think anything of it. Yeah. But you can see that the tone and, like, the feeling is slightly different when you've already explained it to somebody once. And then this time also, they're doing it in front of a group and trying to make a bit of a show of it. So, so yeah. Those microaggressions are things that we often overlook, but I think for most people, I don't have any data on this, these are the more frequent experiences of, you know, being assessed mm. for, for your background. That's, that's what I've been, uh, that's what I've been hearing as well, um, to confirm what you've said. And uh, I actually um, did an interview for the BBC a few days ago. And they were looking for uh, a white person that had racist behaviors without even knowing them. And uh, the, the more I, uh, I got to know more about the black culture, talking particular talking about my, all my extended family is black. So I had a lot of conversation with my wife, uh, with, uh, with other family members, because I want to understand and another reason why I want to understand is that my kids are going to be mixed race. So they are going to be in a world which I have no clue about what they're going to, what they're go- how they're going to be seen. Mm. And so for me, having the, uh, even having a basic awareness, even if it's theoretical and not em- empirical, practical, it is a must. Like there is no other way. Yeah. And so I did this interview for the BBC and uh, I remember that one of the things that I was doing that I didn't think it was racist, but actually <laughs> in hindsight it was, was that we had only in our class when I was uh, 12 or 13, we only had uh, one uh, guy from Morocco. Everyone mm-hmm. else was white Italian. And there was this guy, this only guy from Morocco. And there were very few families at that time. They were coming from Morocco to work in Italy, in our town. And uh, we kept calling it, you know, the Moroccan guy, Marocchino. That's how we're calling it in, in Italian. Or we were always making fun about uh, his smell because he had a different smell compared to us. Or um, we were uh, making jokes about the, the way he was speaking Italian. I mean, <laughs> kudos to him. Uh, he actually came to a new country and learned the language. Uh, I understood it when I came here to the UK and I couldn't speak English. So, <laughs> and... <laughs> from Moroccan to Italian is even more difficult than from Italian to English. So there is uh, uh, all these things that 
I was doing just because everyone else was doing them. And for me, I didn't have any, uh, any intention of offending someone at the time. But I'm sure I did mm. because mm. Uh, of just the, the environment. So what, the question I want to ask is, how does the environment or society as it's shaped create those situations? Mm. Yeah, it's a good point. And, and by the way, like, I think this is human behavior. This is, I wouldn't say, generally speaking, I wouldn't say, for example, with the microaggression example that I gave when I was at school, or even with your example, with your Moroccan friend, this is, an environment plays a big part because you just tend to go with what's accepted in your world. Right. And, you know, when, when you're in school, the, the, the school is your whole world, right? Yes. It's literally, it like, you, you don't travel and, you know, see other places, other countries very often. You know, nine times out of ten, you're just either with your family or with yeah. your friends at school, right? Yeah. That, and that's all you know. And so if you're if at home, for example, to use my, my Indian friends, because I know they won't mind me, saying this you know if at home their their parents or their grandparents are referring to black people as talu right that is all they know so you come out and you're like oh yeah i have one of those people <laughs> yeah. in my circle so it's yeah. just automatic to refer to him in that way right and so what i really like about the latest the latest because there's been many attempts you know with this black lives matter with raising racial inequalities and trying to have a real change and a real mm. transformation because to be honest where we are today it's, it's just not good enough but what yeah. i really like about it this time is the whole idea of calling out that behavior right yes because i feel the responsibility is on both parties so it was my responsibility back then to say hey by the way now that I know what Kalu means, I don't like you referring me, referring mm. to me in that way, right? And just like now, now when I've given them that education piece, it's up to them to go and educate their parents, educate their grandma and say, actually, you know what, in today's world, it's not okay to refer to people from that culture in that way. It's, it's yes. offensive, right? And, and so that's what I really like. And even with organizations, at the moment, you know, with the movement, we are asking people not to, it's no longer good enough, Simone, to say, to, to not be racist, right? It's no longer good enough. Hmm. You have to be anti-racist, right? Yeah. And so anti-racist looks like if you're an individual, like I said, calling out that behavior at home or amongst your colleagues, whatever, when you see something inappropriate happening, but even as a company, mm. and I'm part of many organizations, we're both part of the, the PSA. Yeah. And it's been interesting seeing how different organizations have responded. And the organizations that have been prepared to, to get uncomfortable yeah. in order to, to state their position on this racial inequality. And I think for those organizations that have decided to stay quiet, I wouldn't automatically label them as racist, just mm. like I wouldn't label the people as racist because yeah. it's such a complex world to navigate and often it's because people are afraid of saying the wrong thing and maybe you've been in this position as 
as a white man and you know i commend you for speaking on this issue because it's not easy like this there's a hundred different ways you could get this wrong <laughs> right uh, there is and and I, and i got it and i got it and probably i, I got it wrong about 101 ways now one of <laughs> one of one of the ways i got incredibly wrong was uh and the, again that came from ignorance uh i did uh, a stand up comedy gig a few years mm. ago and the the um, the title of the comedy gig and it was all around i wish i was black now for me it was funny and if someone knows me no i play basketball i'm the we are three white people in our basketball team <laughs> uh so <laughs> uh my extended family is black and uh, growing up i've always been around black people is i i don't even know how i find myself in that situation but it has been something natural to me and so i played on black stereotypes because i also listen some of my favorite stand up comedians are black and so <laughs> make it a mix of that I played on stereotypes that I've heard on other stand-up comedies. They were funny, missing the point that the person who said that message was actually black <laughs> and not a white man. So uh, a lot of people found it really funny. A lot of people found it really funny, and a lot of black people said, "Oh my God, it was hilarious! Well done." But then I had other people that saw that video, and they found it really distasteful. And I remember my sister-in-law and she's really passionate into black history. She explained why certain reference I was making they related for example to the period of slavery. Uh one of the jokes that I had was that uh, um you know that a, a lot of uh, uh, there is a stereotype of the black father leaving the house. But I didn't know why the stereotype was. And when I understood that the the real reason why was because they were actually enslaved and so they didn't know how to integrate anymore in the family when then I felt I felt incredibly crap about myself first of all mm -hmm. for even saying that but I think that that's the only way by talking about these topics right now by having this conversation that's the only way in which we can come to a more mutual agreement yeah Yeah and and I think you raise a really good point about stereotypes. And and yeah, first of all, you're not the only person to mess up many times, but at least you when you were given the education, you took it on board and and you tried to do something with it. And what I wanted to say about stereotypes, so yeah, so stereotypes play a big part, I think, because and again to go back to my own story so i am a little bit unique right and if you look at historically if you read malcolm x if you read black history like you know how you said your sister in the does there are certain stereotypes about black people even in terms of how mm. how they are perceived as a threat i'm thinking about black men in particular so you have this image of a mm -hmm black guy you know six foot plus muscly and you know the thug looking type who mm -hmm. when you see him walking on 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 the sidewalk you're supposed to cross the road because he's going to do something to you mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and and so i have obviously relatives cousins people in my my circle who 
who are black men who fit that mm-hmm. stereotype who are six foot and muscly but they happen to be good people and you know have professional jobs etc but so for example my cousin he he's definitely you know he definitely has that look that has mm. been stereotyped and you know i remember many years ago maybe four or five years ago he he used to drive he just loved bmws he's always loved bmws mm-hmm. growing up always talked about bmws as soon as he got a job the first car he bought was a bmw mm-hmm. and you know it's like kudos to him you know you worked you yeah. saved your money you bought a beamer nice now i want to buy mine now i didn't do it cousin right but, <laughs> honestly that bmw turned out to be one of the biggest curses of his life he would literally get stopped by the cops almost every other day like no joke almost black man every other day on a b- black black man on a bmw black man he's young he's in his early 20s he's got that look you know he's a big guy he looks strong he's driving an expensive car he's got to be a drug dealer what else like he he has to be a drug dealer mm-hmm. right and there's been similar experiences with you know a few other of my male relatives and so for me when i say i haven't received over racism i think partly there's a environmental thing because i grew up maybe around a different community asian mostly yeah. but also because with my story so i'm not a six foot black guy <laughs> i promise you if you don't believe me go on my website for those who have <laughs> and <laughs> maybe half of that <laughs> and uh, and so in a way and and this again this is winston speculating because i don't fit into that mode i've not seen as much of a threat right yeah. so if you see me walking down the pavement you don't need to cross the road so the winston it's all right it's one of those cool black people that we don't yeah. need to run away we don't from. need to worry about <laughs> yeah it's harmless And so that's why I'm quite when I speak on diversity and stuff I I think it's also really important to recognize what the different intersections are which is the thing that I mentioned at the beginning yeah because a black and black male disabled experience is different from just a black male experience and and likewise you have black mm. female and and black isn't is black you could have black african yeah. black caribbean it's it's very very diverse and i think the soon as we start recognizing those what all of those strands are the more we can actually help people in the way that they need to be helped because it's not uh, all generic yeah. it, it it looks uh, it looks extremely complex because <laughs> now if you think about now you made me think about it if we think about how many intersections there are hundreds of thousands I mean <laughs> we we take in consideration all the different factors that we can we can consider. So how can uh, people organization navigate uh, such a mm. complex world uh, still showing compassion still showing willing of understanding f- to find a more like a common place where we can come together we can mm. understand better each other. So where do we start? Yeah. Gosh, uh, so 
I think when it, maybe we'll do like an individual level and then organization level. Right. So if I, and to be honest, a lot of the, the tips will apply for both actually. So first of all, it's communication. And, and by communication, I don't just mean like generic, oh yeah, like Black Lives Matter, use the hashtag on your Facebook or your LinkedIn page and then that's it. I mean, actually having real conversations, whether yeah. it's at home with your colleagues, yeah. with your extended family, whatever, and being prepared to call things out, like I was saying earlier. Like if, if it's inappropriate, then, and you don't call it out, then you are complicit. You are creating mm. a safe space for that prejudice to carry on. Yeah. So we, we definitely need to move from that and into being anti-racist. And, and with that comes this idea of allies. So allies are people who, who I believe an ally is a leader, right? So mm -hmm. in an organization that would look like, you know, the head of the organization, the CEO, the managing director, and, and for them to again come out and be prepared to have those uncomfortable conversations about race, and inequality and prejudice because when they do it then it gives permission for everyone else in the organization to say hey you know i might not get it right the first time but i'm prepared to listen i'm prepared to to talk and yeah. and to grow and learn right so an ally who's at the top of an organization i believe does a lot of good work when they are prepared to put themselves forward and make themselves vulnerable because as you've experienced there's so many ways to get it wrong right yeah and and so that's at the organization level and then there's people in our world personal development right we have platforms we have followers we have people in our communities mm -hmm. and again it's the same thing exactly what you're doing now now that you're having this series of conversations on black lives matter then i'm sure it's already sparked questions it's already sparked yeah new conversations within your Facebook groups, et cetera, right? And people wanting to learn more, people saying, oh, my God, I can't believe I used to do that thing. That's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I want to I be better, right? I want to be better. So, so that's important as well. And, and yeah, and, I mean, those are some of the tips I can think of. And the other thing I would add as well is if you are in a position to, to speak on these topics, right, because you don't need a hundred people to, sorry, a hundred thousand people mm. in order to evoke change. Because what I often hear from people is saying, oh yeah, but I only have a hundred followers, right? I shouldn't be, it should be up to the celebrities, it should be up to yeah. all the yeah, alien yeah. celebrities yeah. like Simone talking about it, right? And, you know, I <laughs> sure. say to them, hey, <laughs> look, even if you've got 50 followers it, and only 10 of them, you know, receive that message, then that's 10 more people than there were yesterday, right, who built up yeah. this consciousness. So, so yeah, so a lot of it is around comms and a lot of it is around calling things out. And it takes guts. It's not easy, by the way, guys. And, you know, I have to do this as well when it comes to other communities because I can't be the guy who speaks on diversity and inclusion but isn't aware of other communities as well or people with yeah. different sexual preferences, et cetera, because the same prejudices exist for, for all the diversity strands. It is, a, it is fascinating, this conversation, and uh, it is a, a, not an easy conversation to have, um, but there are, 
I come the the only way I can comment is from the from the white perspective from a, as a white man, and uh, what I can say is that every conversation that I started, even if I got it wrong, was appreciated. I had, of course, few people that in the emails that I sent uh, said, "Oh, you shouldn't be talking about this. You should do more." And and I understand that in particular right now there is a lot of pain, there is a lot of hurt going around, and not just right now. I mean, it's talking about centuries. But uh, as uh, I think that as a white person, we can't say this is not our problem because we created it. So we can't, uh, if we talk about where it all came from, from colonialism, from all, all, all the things that happened that led us to this situation, we can't say it's not our problem because if we are really talking about humanity, it is our problem as human beings. And uh, as a white person, it is our problem because we created the damn thing. So mm-hmm. in the first place, and it is important to have these conversations. And I've been, uh, I've, I've received many messages when I did, uh, I did uh, uh, different interviews. Uh, I did, uh, uh, was one of the most beautiful moment uh, where we have uh, like an inner circle of clients uh, and uh, we invited uh, some of our black members, say, just to share their feelings. Say, how do you feel right now? And it was just a moment where which you would never create, I wish I've done it sooner mm-hmm. and I will do it more to understand where we can understand each other's cultures. We can understand how each other's feel in a certain environment. And the opportunity mm-hmm. to create that safe space where no one is judged. And that's one of the things that I found that I really wish I've done sooner because and if if probably this uh, the, the black lives matter movement didn't explode this much like this big in this particular time i probably would have not have done it so um there is a lot of question and one of the que- the reason why i'm saying this because one of the questions i have now is uh, how do we keep this going when it's not mainstream anymore in the news like right now it's easy to talk about this because <laughs> it's everywhere but what happens when it's not everywhere? What can we do as organizations or people to keep this conversation going and making a real change? Yeah. So, yeah, and that's a great question. And actually, I'll start here. So one of the things which I've actually struggled with in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement itself is, I just call it shaming, right? So there's sometimes a shaming attitude, for example, so I, I know I said communication is important, but at the same time, you need to allow people to process things and then communicate when they're ready. And I think initially when this whole thing was on fire, there were certain pockets of people who even like stopped focusing on the movement and instead they were focusing on shaming those people who hadn't come out to talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. And I can... I can see where that sentiment is coming from, but I also think that sentiment is not helpful because at the end of the day, we need to respect our human differences. So the way Simone processes something might be completely different to how Winston processes it. And actually, even after the George Floyd situation, I didn't post anything for about a week because I actually think I was traumatized after... I didn't even watch the video to the end, but just watching a little bit that... I need to be off social media for a few days, right? Mm-hmm. 
and and so to be to be attacked for for processing trauma feels a little bit unfair because you have to allow people that that grace to do what they need to do and yeah and so coming back to to your point about how do we make this sustainable which i think li- links well into this is I, I've got a, a calling to, and my calling hasn't changed. My mission has not changed because of Black Lives Matter. My mission has always been to, in fact, I've got a number. My mission is to help 1 billion people unleash their full human potential. And I'm mm-hmm. sure you've got your mission statement. I'm sure many other people in your community and whoever's yeah. watching this, they'll have their own personal missions as well. And so... <clears throat> Generally, our missions are to do with helping other people, right? Yeah. And so for me, I think I'm not going to ask everyone who's watching this to now go and become an activist or to go and become a diversity and inclusion expert because maybe that's, that's not your expertise or that's not the cause that you care about, right? But it's thinking, how can you, in whatever you do, pour into into this racial inequality. And that could look like different things. So with me, obviously, it's pretty easy. You know, I speak at conferences. And now, like, one thing I've added to my talk is a, a bigger focus on racial inequalities because, mm-hmm. you know, that fits nicely with my topics. But you could be a... I've seen coaches, for example, who were offering, for example, people from minority groups taster sessions or consultations for them to have an experience of coaching which they would have never thought of accessing before right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so uh, so this is businesses making their work available i i do people also doing mentoring right so Mm -hmm, i mm -hmm. because i work in c with ceos and with big companies they they, there are programs where a ceo could mentor someone from a socially deprived community now imagine you're 16 years old and you get to be mentored by a CEO of Barclays Bank for three it changes, months. It right? changes your life. It changes life your life. Changing. Yeah. Life, yeah. That, that ghetto mentality, it just completely changes your perspective. Absolutely 100%, right? And so, and we can all be that CEO. We can all help that person who's less fortunate, whether you're a speaker, whether you, whether you sell shoes, whether you're a coach, you know, whatever you do is thinking, how can I, don't transform your mission, just mm. reshape your mission so that it actually helps another group of people because we all agree, generally, we're all trying to help each other. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a very, that, that's an incredible strong point that you make. is about adding it to what you're already doing, not derailing yourself, not changing yourself, but is understanding, thinking about what else, what else can I do? And uh, I made a commitment to create uh, more spaces for these conversations to happen where uh, in our community, because we had, um, for one reason or another, we have, we had uh, as GTX, a very diverse community. Like I cannot really pinpoint something uh, like that. We is, is crazy. It's a bit crazy, mm-hmm. but I think that also aligns with the fact that uh, 
Um, that's one of my passion. Like I love understanding different cultures. I'm just like, so I, w- what does it mean? And uh, is it, for me, it's fascinating. That's also why I love traveling because uh, it's less about the place. It's more about understanding how the people live in that place and uh, what they eat, what they don't eat, what they drink. What, uh, that's one of the things that always fascinated me. And uh, I've not done enough within, uh, I've done enough on two things. One, I never talked about it publicly because a lot of conversation around inclusion and diversity, they were done behind closed doors. So we talk about it on a board level. We talk about it uh, when we think about the marketing that we want to put out on how we make sure that people get the most of the programs, but we never actually voiced out the work that we were doing. And by not doing so, then we are actually taking a stance uh, whether we like it or not. And so these are some of the things that we are committed to do. And I'm open to more and more suggestion on what mm-hmm. else we can do. Because I think if we use then this wave that have started and this momentum that has been built, then we can progress the change. Because of course, we, you know, I think we came a long way since yeah. like even like 50 years ago, 60 years ago. But there is still a long way to go. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Uh, and we all got to do our bit. So, uh, Winston, I want to thank you for uh, coming on this interview today. It's been incredibly eye-opening. Thank you for sharing uh, your stories, your examples, your ideas. Um, if uh, someone wants to reach out to you, maybe they want to book you for a conference uh, or in their organization, what is the best way to reach out to you? Yes. I mean, first of all, just thank you, Simone, for creating this safe space for for people to share and people to just learn and educate themselves you know i guess i'll add one thing so obviously i am disabled as well as black and so the this is interesting for me because i i often get people who don't understand disability just like people who don't understand what it is to be black and so it's good that we're starting to have these open conversations because I believe it's going to trickle to, you know, the disabled experience, the transgender experience, all the yeah. relevant yeah. forms of diversity. So, so thank you for for creating that safe space. And then, in terms of people reaching out to me, just WinstonClemens.com. It's got all my social handles. It's got my videos, my TED talks, and yeah, just drop me a line, even just to say hi, or if you had a question following this this awesome session with Simone. All right. Thank you very much. All the links are going to be in the show notes. So make sure uh, you connect with Winston, even sending a message on social media, connect to them, uh, get the conversation going. And now the final question before we wrap up, Winston, if there is one message you want to leave uh, our listeners with, what would it be? Mm, Okay. Pressure. You can tell me about this. (laughs) I would say... One thing that I've, I've talked about before is, again, maybe comparing it with, the, with my experience as a disabled man. So, you know, we all know, for example, if you're a wheelchair user, there are certain challenges to just navigating the city, right? Accessing buildings, etc. I mean, you had to carry me up the stairs one time <laughs> at a venue. So, you know, so we have those challenges. And, you know, there are things that we're doing to 
overcome that, to make buildings more accessible, etc. So the analogy I want to leave you with is these conversations that we're having, these safe spaces that you're creating, these um, the, the movement itself and, and how people are prepared to be anti-racist, people are prepared to be conscious about inclusion and help their, their mom, their grandma to be more aware. What we're doing is we're actually building that ramp. This is a building that used to have a staircase so the disabled person couldn't go in. But now these conversations are creating that ramp. They're making it accessible for black people and to be honest, all humanity yeah. to live in a space that is fully inclusive. So I hope that analogy made sense. I just kind of made it up. But uh, that's what I'd like to, to, leave, <laughs> to leave you guys with. <laughs> it absolutely works. <laughs> Be the ramp, be the ramp. <laughs> be, be the ramp, be the ramp. And, the and ramp, with this, uh, thank you very much, Winston. Thank you for your time. Um, everyone who is listening or watching, thank you very much for uh, being part of this conversation. Let us know uh, in the comments what are the things that uh, you enjoy the most uh, or the ideas that you have. And as well, if you're listening to the show, uh, leave us a review so then uh, uh, on iTunes uh, so then we can spread this word even to, to more and more people. And uh, let us know in the review what uh, did, did st what stood out for you in uh, this conversation. I'm sure uh, Winston and, and myself would love would love to know that. Thank you, Winston. Thank you, everyone. Have a fantastic Thank day. You. And remember, until next time, that together we grow exponentially. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Explode Your Expert Business Show. If you enjoyed the interview, please subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Every week we will select a winner from the reviews that we get. So it might be you. Make sure you give us a review. It means the world to us and that's how we, you can help us grow the show. Also remember to download the Expert Business Checklist to get the roadmap on how to become an authority in your field. The link is in the show notes or you can visit gtex.events forward slash expert iPhone checklist. So it's gtex.events forward slash expert iPhone checklist. And as well, finally, if you want to receive daily support in your coaching and speaking business or explore how we can work together, join our private Facebook group, Explode Your Expert Biz. Again, you can find it on Facebook at Explode Your Expert Biz or the link is in the show notes. Thank you very much for listening and until next time, remember that together we grow exponentially. <laughs>